Gant, who look at who is my neighbour. And last week, Neil picked it up on the Good Samaritan from Luke 10 um, and began to share with us some thoughts regarding our neighbours and this whole attitude of us and them. And when Neil had asked me uh, about a month ago or so to share with you this morning um, regarding this topic or this people group, um, I began to then obviously pray about how it is it God wants me to communicate to you this morning, um, this people group. And very quickly, um, what I had in mind um, began, began to dismantle a little bit, because um, that's what God does, doesn't he? he wants, I, I don't want to bring to you information that I already have, but something that is fresh and something that I believe God wants to communicate this morning uh, regard, through this topic. Some of you already know I do have a seminar on Islam, uh, which I have already done a couple of conferences. I did a, at the drop-in conference a couple of years ago. We will not be doing that this morning. You'd be you're glad to know that's two hours. Um, or I, I won't even be sharing information from that seminar. So if you want or interested, as we go through this morning, I have a sign-up sheet at the back because we will be just, uh, going through this with the interns on a Thursday evening. We haven't decided which Thursday evening yet, but we will be doing that in the coming weeks. So if you're interested in that, please put your name down um, and your email and your phone number. Okay, we won't bombard you with junk mail. Um, but just to let us know that you're interested, we can make you aware of when I'm going to be presenting that seminar. Um, so you can come back and get more information um, regarding that. Because we don't have time this morning. Because um, obviously when I was preparing this, I realized how long I could be this morning. Um, David's record might be in jeopardy after this. Um, as it, as it, uh, now in the novels now. Um, so we have a lot of information still I would like to share with you um, as we look through this topic. But as I began to process this topic of Islam and Muslim people, I began to realize that this, what I'm going to share with you this morning, doesn't only refer to them um, or, or people from that group, but it refers to all people everywhere all minority groups um, in our um, context. But we will be using Islam as an example. And to prepare you to hear what God has put out on my heart this morning, at the start of the service, there were some slides that were scrolling. I don't know if you saw them or you ignored them. Um, but these were the slides. You had this slide of this woman who obviously represents the people group and the topic that we're looking at this morning. Look at her. What do you see? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And I want you to become aware of what's going on within you, both in your mind and in your spirit. To become become attentive to that. Now you may have to uh, um, give me some grace this morning um, because when I first got introduced to Islam, um, well, it wasn't the first time I got introduced to Islam, but when I was um, presented, first time probably uh, presented well with Islam was about 10 years ago. 
And since then, I have been wrestling with it. And I have been, as I wrestle with it, there's a, a stirring that comes from within me. And I can't help but identify and notice that. And every time I engage with this people group or study about this people group, God does something. There's something that bubbles um, within me. And hopefully you'll see why by the end of this um, session. But as I reflect on my life and my attitude towards these people, or this uh, people group, I couldn't help but um, think through that not that long ago, I would have looked at them and looked at them and looked at them. Um, It stirred up feelings of prejudice, a feeling of, I don't like them, a feeling of, I don't know what, I can't even put words to it. And with that came a fear. I was afraid of this people group. Um, afraid to talk to them every time I saw them. Um, I was afraid to engage with them. To the point that I remember being on an airplane. Um, this was after September 11th, obviously. Um, on an airplane, getting strapped in, ready to go to, this, to, go to the United States. And I was just like, oh, I can't look, looking forward to this trip. It's going to be awesome. What movies are they going to be playing? What's happening? It's going to be this... Find one young woman sat down beside me. How are you going? I'm doing very well. Da, da, da. Then, nope, flight was going great. The movie was fantastic. Came to mealtime. Because obviously, you know, after checking out what the movies are, the next thing you check out is what's for dinner, you know, on, on the flight. Um, but then, at that, as I was checking out the dinner, all I could hear over the loudspeaker was Could the person who has requested a halal meal please make themselves known? Now, if you're not sure what that is, it is a, a meal um, prepared for a Muslim person, given under Sharia law, okay? Um, so, I was like, right, okay, so, right, so there's a Muslim on board. Um, okay, whatever. Next minute, you see, like, on a silver platter, their air hostess comes down, like, with this, halal meal, halal meal, hi, I'm a, how are you? There, there, there you are, love. Um, and, enjoy, of course. Right beside me was the person who requested the halal meal, or the halal meal. So I'm kind of thinking to myself, Oh, right. Straight away, I couldn't help but notice that she's requested a certain meal. She obviously has a certain mindset, which is not, I wouldn't say extreme, but it's obedient to her religion. Um, Right, I'm thinking, right, okay. Um, What's going to, I couldn't help but notice. Am I going to get off this plane alive? What's going to happen? Because right away, my prejudices took me to a place where I was fearful. And I had absolutely no reason to think those things about that woman. We have many misconceptions regarding not only this this people group, but all minorities within our culture. Um, I think Northern Ireland is very much rife with this. We have a lot of misconceptions. And our first misconception regarding this people group is what I've already hinted to was that all Muslims are extremists. Or, forgive me, I, I hate that word. Um, all Muslims are radical. And that's not true. There's a, a, there's a varied group of people who follow the Islamic faith. 
all of which get their foundation from the Quran. So the, so the peaceful traditions find their bases in the Quran, and those who are more of the violent nature also finds their sources, their foundation grounding in the Quran. But they're not all. That's uh, they're not all radical. That's our or one of our misconceptions. Now, another misconception is that we don't really understand who Muhammad was. We think he's some other dead. I have heard so many Christians saying, oh, but they believe in you know, your man. And we call him again, you know, Muhammad. Well, actually, they don't. He is not a deity. Um, he is the best man, as far as a, a Muslim is concerned. He is the best man who ever lived. So if you want to look at how to be a proper male, um, how the best way to carry out your life, look at the example of Muhammad. And that's what they believe. He is not God. In fact, that is the, one of the worst things you could ever say. Um, that in itself within uh, Islam is worthy of death. Um, he's not a god. He's just a man. He's the best man. Another misconception that we have is that we don't understand the role of politics in Islam. And that's because we come at it from a different side of the coin, you could say. They don't see a separation between church and state. Okay, they, they do not separate those things the way we do to the, today. So therefore, Islam is a religion and also a political ideology. It is both. With their goal is to see the world living under Sharia law. And we don't understand the culture of Islam and what it fosters. You know, we look into their culture, we look into their community, and we have certain misconceptions because we don't understand their way of life. Within Islam, there's a real honor and shame basis. Um, honor and as far as status, they're always trying to achieve a certain status within their own community. Um, and there's also a shame, like an honor and shame. Um, two worst, most shameful things um, for a Muslim. Well, the, the shame basically is based upon the purity of the wo- uh, women in the family. Okay, that's what it's based upon. And also, the most shameful thing a Muslim could do is turn from their faith and be converted to another religion. That's from the Quran. That is the most shameful thing. Um, and these things are obviously, they're worthy of death also. Of course, we have misconceptions of Islam and Muslim people. But Muslims also have misconceptions about Christians as well. They think we, we, we worship three different gods. You know, they don't understand Jesus. The whole idea of atonement, someone dying for your sins. The Quran says that cannot happen. No man can pay the price of another according to the Quran. So they have misconceptions also regarding Christianity. Um, and they don't separate um, because of their, their mindset on church and state. They don't understand, like, all the Western world's Christian. Okay? So it doesn't matter who you are. If you're born in the United States or Britain, you are automatically Christian. They do not separate. As far as they are, they see MTV as Christian TV. Right? They don't, they don't separate it. Um, so they also have a misconception. I, I mean, we have no time. I'm, I'm already aware of it. I, I, I didn't even start the, t- the timer. Um, so, but um, I'll just dangle a cup of coffee and I'll, and I'll stop. It's okay. Um, and the thing you have to understand too, 
regarding from the Quran, they believe regarding Christianity, Christianity failed. Therefore, the Muhammad and the Quran had to come to put it right. That's what the, that's the, that's what the Quran teaches, that uh, Christianity failed. Um, and it was Islam that has put that right. So there's misconceptions on both sides. From a Christian perspective, looking at a Muslim community and the Islamic faith, and also from a Muslim, looking into a Christian context and the Christian faith. There's misconceptions, again, as I said, due to time. Uh, We've no time to go into that. But there are, the reason why we have these misconceptions probably is because of what we see on TV, um, especially in recent times. The media portrays them in a certain light. In fact, it only portrays a certain uh, percentage of the Islamic community um, in a certain light. You all, every time you turn on the TV, it's always the radicals you see, isn't it, really? Um, or, or mostly, although I've, I've noticed in recent times, you're getting more of the moderates to the more liberals as well coming on television. But when it comes on the news, you see more the, rather, the radicals. And whatever your assumption is, whatever you, what your mindset is regarding them, one thing I do respect them for is that they're not afraid to speak of their faith. They're not afraid um, to stand for God. They really want their life to count. They live by good and honorable um, values. And they're passionate about what they believe. Which makes me ask myself the question, I'll ask you the question, how passionate are you when it comes to sharing your faith? Because regarding this people group and other minority groups, we have everything to gain in relationship with them by sharing our faith. You have everything to gain. So where do we start? Where do you start to share your faith? Well, like any good story, you have to go back to the beginning, don't you? Um, you have to go, we're going to go back to the beginning where it all started. And where did this all start? It all started, believe it or not, with a family feud. Because the truth of the matter is, in the beginning, with this other people group that we're talking about um, this morning, we started out as brothers. You're like, what? I can see some of your faces are like, what? Turn with me to Genesis. Genesis 16. You see, both Islam and Christianity and Judaism also go back to Abraham. And it can be traced in the Quran and in the, in the Bible. So with the, the Quran, they trace it obviously back to Abraham through Ishmael. But the biblical accounts, they trace it, Christianity back to Abraham through Isaac. And this morning we're going to take a look at this beginning to see what took place. But more importantly, how did God interact? Because I believe there are lessons for us to learn this morning uh, by going back to the beginning, going back to the roots um, of both the Islamic community and also the Christian community. Uh, before, I, before I read, I want you to bring your attention as well to that the Quranic and the biblical accounts are different. Okay? They are different. Um, for example, in, in the Quran, we were Abraham... Um, went up onto Mount Moriah with a son to sacrifice him. Remember that story? Who did he take with him? Isaac. 
okay? But in the Quran, it's Ishmael. Okay, so that's just a quick example of the, the, the difference. Okay, so there is similarities, but they're not the same accounts. So here we are, Genesis 16. And what we have in this chapter, um, Abraham's, or Abram, as he's known by at this point, and, and his wife Sarai, they have no children. Um, Sarai is barren, so she offers Abram Hagar, um, her Egyptian maid, to, to produce an offspring. She, she con- conceives. Sarai then feels despised in, in, in the sight of her, even though it was her idea um, for this to happen. Um, and in response, she treats Hagar harshly, and Hagar flees. And we'll pick up the story on verse 7. In Genesis 16, verse 7, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man, His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bilhalaharah. Behold, it is between Kedesh and Bereth. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So here we see Sarai has treated Hagar harshly. But God takes the initiative. God sees Hagar in her abandonment. After God's You can say chosen people have treated her badly. God initiates. God steps in. And not only does he step in, but he makes Hagar certain promises about the child that's in her womb. If you just want to scan down, you'll see that the promises that he made, that he will greatly multiply your descendants. In fact, there's there's going to be so many you can't even count them. Too many to count, as it says in verse 10. Does this sound familiar? God even goes on to give Ishmael, the child, his name. God names Ishmael, which means that God hears. He was attentive to her affliction, and then he ex- explains to her what Ishmael is going to be like. I don't know about you or how familiar you are um, with the stories in the Old Testament especially, but so often you would get this kind of description of God's people. But a child is going to be born, what the person is going to call that child, because God names the child. He gives the parents the heads up on what the child's going to be like. By the way, that would have been very helpful. Um, you know, you see, you see God treating her with such grace, 
and love, just as he has done with his chosen people uh, throughout the scriptures. Let's turn to Genesis 17. By the way, this is 13 years later. So in chapter 16, uh, Ishmael's not born. Okay? But 13 years later, to Genesis 17, obviously he then is born. And God begins to establish his covenant with Abram, who is now Abraham. And he had announced that Sarai, who now also has changed her name to Sarah, well, God has changed her name because of the covenant, Sarah, um, will give birth to a son, and through him the everlasting covenant will continue. And it's in this context that we have Abraham having dialogue with God and saying, but what about Ishmael? You know, just, you know, he, 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 why, what's the point in having another son? I guess, I've got one, you know, and God says, no, no. Verse 19 of chapter 17. But God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now, can you just hear Abraham think, kind of, well, what about Ishmael then? Let's continue. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I will make him fruitful. I will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. So here we see God in the context of establishing his covenant with Abraham through Isaac, also adds promises regarding Ishmael. He blesses Ishmael. He makes him fruitful, promises to multiply him exceedingly. And then the next thing he says, I'll make him a father of 12 princes. I was just, when I read that, I was like, I was just so what does that remind you of? Who else had 12 something? Okay, if you haven't, 12 disciples, but even before that, in this context, the 12 tribes, Jacob, okay? And if you don't know that, then you need to read further on than we're going to do this morning. But God's promises to make Ishmael a great nation. Turn to Genesis 21. Genesis 21. What you'll find in this chapter is that Hagar and Ishmael are sent away again. Um, And they're out wandering in the wilderness. This is actually a story that in Islam is quite prominent. They really look look at this. Um, But we're not going to have today. Um, But what we see in Genesis 21 in the biblical account is where Hagar comes to a place in the wilderness where she's bereft or she's just in distress and she cries out to God. It says that she lifts up her voice. And we're going to pick up the story um, in, in verse 17. And God heard the lad crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, 
and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad. God was with Ishmael, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. See, in this situation with Hagar and Ishmael, here we see God responding again. But this time, it's different. Before, he saw the situation and intervened. He took initiative. But here we see him responding to the cry of Hagar. He does three things in these, cha- in these verses. He listens. He serves by opening her eyes and showing, her the, showing the well and the resources around. And he was present with them. God was with Ishmael and he grew in verse 20. So see that God listening, serving, and being present to them in the situation. And it's actually from this family feud that the gap begins to widen. Um, in Genesis 25, if you're to look at verses 17 to 18, you'll find out that Ishmael lived 137 years. And also you'll find out that he and his relatives settled in defiance against his relatives. It says he lived in defiance of all his relatives. Then in Genesis 28, you'll see another son, Isaac's son, Esau. So obviously Isaac, no, sorry, yeah, Isaac's son, um, Esau, who also is the brunt of a family feud. Okay, whether it be his own fault or not, it doesn't matter. Another family feud. And he is so annoyed with his family situation and he knows about how the Canaanite women are despised in the sight of Isaac, he decides, I'm going to get me one of them just to annoy his dad. And we see that he go, Esau connects to Ishmael then in marriage. Okay? Both of these things possibly due to a family feud. And it's from here that the family starts to go their separate ways, you could say. We've been looking at the beginning of Christianity and Islam and how God interacted in the situation. We've been looking at um, Ishmael, the founding, um, or, 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 or the connection, the connect person between Abraham and Muhammad. And we've also been looking at the connection with Christianity and Judaism to Abraham, which flows through Isaac, that eternal covenant. And to help us to get the bigger picture, we need to turn to Galatians. Okay, you want to turn to Galatians? But I hope this is all making sense to you and you're following me okay? Because I'm because I'm noticing I'm flying through this. I get, for so, as I said before, this does something to me. I get passionate about this for some reason. 
Um, what I didn't tell you at the times I've tried to study the Quran, I have got petrified and threw it in the drawer. I'm not doing that because I know where that leads. I know that when God is stirring this up, we have to engage. We have to take his example, which that's where we're getting to. Um, so I hope I'm, I'm not uh, going too fast for, for, for you. But again, the, um, the seminar it will be available if I have. Okay, so let's get the bigger picture, Galatians 4. We'll look at verses 22 to 31. And it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, where she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than one of, of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. Two things jump out at me in that. And that is the description of the descendants. It says in the scriptures, and what you've just read is, the, the children of Hagar are what? Slaves. And that's exactly what the Quran teaches today. But the children of the promise, the descendants of the promise are what? How? Why? What are, what are, are they? What's the difference? They are what? They're children, okay? Difference. One's a slave, the other one is children. Slave has no right to an heir or any of the inheritance. A child does. A child has everything. Okay? And that's a, a big difference. Big difference. In fact, I would go as far to say the only difference between these two brothers and these two religions was that was, um, only one was chosen to carry on the eternal covenant. Only one was chosen to be in the line of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as we come more face-to-face with this in our community, um, I don't know about you, but I am seeing people from this people group more and more often. Um, and it actually excites me. I just want to talk to them. Um, because we must not allow our fear and our prejudices to dictate. So often we put the head down and walk on, muttering under our breath um, or whatever. We respond in the wrong way. But we must not 
do that. Because our fear and our prejudices only reveal one thing, and that is the insecurities of our own hearts. And it is important that we take that to God, allow his Holy Spirit and his word to transform us so we no longer have that prejudice or that fear to engage with this people group or any other people group for that matters. Because our fear and prejudices only reveal our own insecurities. But we're children of God. You know, um, we have everything to gain by what the scriptures uh, teach us. But we need to remember what we have seen from God's example. So what have we seen this morning? Well, we have seen that God took initiative. He took initiative. Initiative to engage. He gave blessing. We have seen the blessings and the promises as we have read through these uh, or through this story. And there's not much difference from what you see. Um, the promise given to Abraham and Ishmael, apart from that one big one regarding the eternal covenant. So we see God taking initiative, God giving blessing, or blessing him, and also God responding again by being attentive, by listening, by serving, and being present with them. And we need to follow this example. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ just in the exact same way as we did. What I learned recently um, regarding a survey that was taken among uh, I can say MBBs, I call them MBBs, uh, Muslim, Muslim background believers is that 85% came to faith in Jesus Christ. Not by missionaries, but by getting alongside someone in the country or a believer in the country in which they were residing or from the culture that they were from. They came to Christ by reading the Bible in their own language. And thirdly, and definitely not lastly, they came to faith in Jesus Christ through visitations, visions, and dreams of Jesus himself. Eighty. of that survey. What's that telling us? That tells us God is already ahead of us. He is concerned about this people group and all other people groups for that matter. Therefore, we must pay attention to the advice and encouragement that Paul gave and passed on to Timothy. If you want to follow me with this, you want to turn to Second Timothy. We'll be done in the next few moments. Because I'm aware there's a lot to take in. In Second Timothy 2, verses 24 to 26, it says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all 
able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. There are people out there who are trapped within the culture they exist. They're under the snare of the devil, as Paul says. And it's interesting because I'm not only thinking of this people group, which is true. They're under the snare. They're on, they are trapped within the culture that they find themselves in. But I, I can't help but believe when I was preparing this to think that even, that that's even getting closer to home as well. There's people in Northern Ireland, believers, who are still trapped by the culture in which they find themselves in. Are we? Are you? We must not let or allow our fears and prejudices get in the way. We need to follow God's example. We need to initiate. We need to engage. We need to listen. We need to serve. We need to be present. We need to respond. And we need to pass on God's blessing as we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, we're all the same. Just people who need Jesus. Let's pray.